Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to Safety Talk. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the link between the brain and safety. Thanks so much to our listeners for being here. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast network or networks and our YouTube channel at safetytalkvideos.com. You don't want to miss getting the latest information about safety tools, tips, and technologies. And of course, we appreciate you helping us spread the word in your social circles as well. Let's all work to make this world a safer place. I'm your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. And my guest on this episode is a speaker, certified registered safety professional, and NeuroChange Master Trainer. She's the founder of Build Resilience, Resilience at Work, where she mentors leaders about how to avoid burnout, push past plateaus, and build resilience. Pamela previously worked for 20 years in occupational and psychological health and safety in numerous industries. So she has a very good grasp on the health and safety challenges that face many of us. A former university teacher of SIAST, her new mission is to bring more awareness to the impact and the potential the brain has in business. So it's my pleasure to welcome Pamela Cohen of Build Resilience to Safety Talk. Welcome, Pam. Thank you very much, Pete. It's so nice to be here. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we are uh, very interested to, to get into this episode because it's something that, you know, a lot of times we talk about how safety and security is with um, your business or with your personal safety, right? Whether it's online, offline. So, um, this is a little bit different, which uh, which I'm excited because uh, to talk about this. So um, let's start by get, letting our audience just kind of know a little bit more about you, your background, and you know how you kind of got started in safety, and then ultimately kind of what led you here. Okay, so uh, did you just freeze? Because my screen oh. froze. Can you hear me? I'm looking good. No, we're hearing good. Okay, good. So how I got started in safety wasn't exactly the the most purest of intentions, I'll agree. Uh, I was working, I had an office job, I was the assistant manager, and uh, there was this gal that was working there and she was so excited. And I asked her what she was so excited about and she says, well, this is my first office job. And I'm like, okay, you're not that old. What did you used to do before you worked here? And she says, well, I used to sit on a, on a catwalk and I used to watch men work. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, Different. really? It's not exactly they an office. They pay for that? <laughs> and she says, well, yeah, I used to, uh, you know, work for about three weeks and then I would have about $6,000. And, and I'm like, what are you doing here? And she says, you know, because she's making maybe two grand a month in the office. And she said, well, I am, uh, I'm at, want to be home with my kids. And so I'm like, okay, that's a good reason to be at home. And a little so safer like, too. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so, but I'm like, tell me some more about these men. <laughs> not my purest of thoughts if you if you know what I mean but I was I was to a point where I was working I knew that I was not going to be able 
to climb the ladder any further unless I went to university, learned to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. And I didn't want to do that. I did not want to go back to school and do that. So I went home and I put safety into the search engine. And lo and behold, there were so many things that came up. And I did that for three months. And I said, you know, I don't think I'll ever get bored here. And sure enough, I was able to get started. I started Azure Glorified Safety Watch. And I got to watch men work. So basically like an inspector. <clears throat> so you would watch like um, people on a job to make sure they were staying safe and not breaking, you know, safety rules, etc. Yep. Yeah, I had one superintendent that told me that the reason why it is that they hire safety watches is so that they can make sure that the uh, that one guy doesn't jump from one scaffold to another because he's a lot less likely risks, to do it. Yeah, he's a lot less likely to do it when he knows somebody's watching. Right, right. Sure, just having that third set that you know other set of eyes on them. Uh, yes, that people tend and to behave <laughs> when they know they're being watched. Supervisor wise. can't always be there, <clears throat> right? You know, because he's doing his management by walking around. Sure, and people do act differently, obviously, when they know they're being watched. You know, every That's single right. one of us, whether it's at your job, at home, you know, in front of your kids, your spouse, friends, neighbors, right? It's you know, we uh, mm -hmm. we tend to act a little bit differently depending on whether you know who we're with. That's and, right. Uh, and whether or not, you know, we're in public, you know, whether you're you're on stage or you're at a sporting mm -hmm. event and, you know, yep. or at a party, you know, or a wedding, you know, you know, yep. hey, there's a lot of people here. I better not make a fool of myself and drink too much, that kind of thing. So that's right. Um, whereas if I'm home and, you know, whatever, my, my team just won a Super Bowl, I'm going to have a couple extra, you know, so, mm -hmm. that's <laughs> so right. that sort of thing. We are a lot different when we are at home than when we are out in public. Sure, sure. So what is it about? safety specifically that drew you into it and and you said you know what this is something that I, I really want to do was it the fact that there was so much out there that you was like there's no way i'm going to get bored doing this or was there another sort of you know thing that was sort of pushing you that way um i'll answer that in two ways number one was that yes i will never get bored here because of the fact that I always looked at it like I get to go to work and I get to learn something new every day. I get to learn one day how the elevator works and the next day I get to learn how what a welder does and then the next day I get to learn about you know uh, a management system. I get I just you know always and and I'm like a little sponge. I I love learning. And, and so, so with with your background in the um, so you, you so you've you've taken safety and now as I was talking about in the introduction, you've applied this now to the brain through something neurochange and the neurochange method, which is not something I'd heard about. I mean, I'm familiar with you know the, the you know brain science and you know different neuro methods, I guess you could say, but um, I hadn't heard of that. And as I said in the intro, you're in what's called a neurochange master trainer and mm -hmm. so I, so how did that sort of dovetail in with you saying hey this is something that i could make work better with sane and how the uh, safety and how the brain works um well the way that that came about was um you see 
10 years ago. My husband was diagnosed with two chronic illnesses that were attacking the brain. And and I I was really intrigued like when the the neurologist said put your wishes in writing because uh before you can't communicate them anymore. And I was like, really? Like wow, that's what pretty deep. That gonna be? Right? <laughs> and and he says, well, because you have brain atrophy. And I'm like, well, what's this thing called brain atrophy? You know, I always wanted to find out what it was that, you know, if we could fix it, maybe then we could, you know, have a better quality of life for him. And so in doing that, I came across brain atrophy. And at that point in time, that was 10 years ago. And Dr. Google said that we get to a point where with our brain where by the age of 25 it's fully formed and it is like Tupperware and what you have at age 25 is what you get and after 25 it's like it's now in the dishwasher and it just starts shrinking as we go through the rest of our lives until it gets to a point where you know when you're in your later years, there's there's really not much there, you know, because you have all this gray matter. Comparatively, sure. And the brain yes. cells don't regenerate. I mean, when they die, they die. That's it. That's, well, that's right. So, so the thing is, I went, okay, I started wondering, how come we don't think about the brain in safety? How does this apply at work? With, with the work that I do with people every day. We look at all these other hazards, all these other things that can affect us when we're at work, but what are we actually doing to the brain at work? Interesting. So what and, are we doing to our brains at work? <laughs> Besides frying them on occasion when you know we're all stressed out. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so... It's been really quite an interesting uh, journey. I'm not quite finished. I'm in the process of, of doing a lot of, of writing. I've got uh, a white paper that I'm actually writing for the industry of safety to talk about how, how does the, what, what are the benefits of, of even having an understanding of the brain and the and when it comes to safety, so and, and I, th I think I, we need to maybe delve a little bit deeper into that because I know you know people are listening or watching are saying okay, so I, I get that we want to try to make our brain safer, maybe prevent it from maybe not atrophying as quickly. So, in what aspects do you look at preserving or making the brain be safer? from traumatic injury, I would imagine, you know, falling off a ladder or something like that is, is obviously an, an obvious one, but other ways as well, maybe from chemicals or radiation or drugs or aging or kind of all the above. Well, that's some of them. That's why we put hard hats on people. Mm -hmm. Right. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, and that's why we look at the, the chemical and the biological and, you know, but there's also the, the psychological hazards that are in the workplace. 
and now moving into the neuropsychological hazards. Okay, so expand on that a little bit for our audience. Expanding on that in that the impact to how the brain functions because of the way that we are setting up systems that don't work in the way that we think. So then it causes the brain to kind of go, whoa, wait a minute, I don't, I don't work that way, <laughs> right? Think about a clunky car that, uh, you know, it's not getting the, the oil, it's not getting maintained, we're not working with the car the way that it should, and, and the one that I, the, the area that I've really been working on recently is in the area of burnout. And, okay. and I know a lot of safety professionals will probably go, wait a minute, hold it, that's HR's role. That's in the realm of HR, they look after that. Well, hold it. Actually, um, there is um, a lot of organizational areas that safety could be as an assistance if we had more of an awareness of the of what's happening when we're in burnout and that is that there are the physical signs of burnout which is chronic exhaustion forgetfulness impaired concentration and intention chest pains, palpitations, shortness of breath, dizziness, fainting, headache, anxiety, tension, worry, edginess, uh, oh, depression. <laughs> and then lastly, anger. Interpersonal tension, outbursts, serious arguments. Does that not spell the recipe for a workplace violence issue? Absolutely, it does. That's one of the things that I speak about. Absolutely. And then we get into the emotional, the sense of failure, sense of helplessness, detachment, feeling alone, the loss of motivation, increased cynical cynicism, mm -hmm. and pessimism, decreased satisfaction and sense of accomplishment. But last I think a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs, can relate to a lot of that, you know, because absolutely. Because we yes. you know, as an entrepreneur, I work hard, I work long hours. You know, we're recording this in the evening, you know, late at night. A lot of people may be in bed right now, but you know what? The curse of the entrepreneur is, <laughs> you know, you work, you do what you got to do. And, and it's, you know, things, different, different set of sort of motivators drive you when, when mm -hmm. you're an entrepreneur. But I think that's, that's very, very uh, pertinent is what you're, you're saying is, you know, how do you avoid that burnout? How do you make sure that you're not working so hard that it's causing other health issues, like you said, or even you know, people just snapping? Right. I yeah. mean, you work so hard, you work so hard, you work so hard, you're stressed out, you got all these projects, you're juggling stuff, juggling stuff every day. And mm -hmm. uh, and that's not good long term. Right. So so that's one great. of the things I'm assuming that you're writing about is how do we identify that? How do we deal with it and how do we prevent it from causing worse problems like escalation sort of thing? That's right. Now, the other thing that that in my research that I have discovered is that. There are six other passengers on what I call our burnout bus. I like that. Burnout bus. Okay. Is 
You don't want to be on the burnout bus. No. <laughs> Unless it's a hot rod and you're doing burnouts. That's but I, right. I digress. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I use that metaphor of the burnout bus because of the fact that I, I kind of liken it that you, you, you and your brain, you're the driver of the bus. And the thing, the passengers on the bus are the things, are the, the things that we, that the brain has to deal with. Okay. So how many passengers are you expecting for your brain to have to deal with? And all fit on that bus. Time? And have you ever had it that you were on a bus and you couldn't get off because there were so many passengers, you missed your stop, you couldn't <laughs> get to the door? Okay. I got <laughs> okay. I like the analogy. I like the analogy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you also have passengers that don't like where you're going. And they don't mm. think you're doing a good enough job. And then they say oh, well, you know, there's these other tasks. You should get out and check the tires. <laughs> well, we're in the middle of driving here, you know. But right. then when I can't check the oil and take the tire pressure while we're going that's right. down the road. Exactly. And maybe you should turn down this way because I, I like the scenery better, you know. And so so I, that's why I've kind of come up with this metaphor of the bus. Yeah, I like you that. Know? That that's what the brain is having to deal with. But, and where it gets really interesting is in the aspect of the organization. N namely, the passenger of the workload. How much workload is there? I'm hearing more and more employees are now doing the, the same job as four people were doing five years ago. I've heard the same too, and they're not getting compensated for it. No. And they're they're getting more and more work piled on them, and exactly as long as you can do the work, well, guess what your boss is going to do? Give you exactly. more. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And so, and so, but are we thinking about the impact that there is on the brain in having to take on that workload? Just because you can do it, how long can you do it? How sustainable is it? And when you look at from a management standpoint of how much does it cost, you might think that you're actually saving yourself money and, it, and it's, you know, better for the bottom line. But in actuality, how much does it cost you to train a new widget maker mm -hmm. every time you burn one out, right? Right, right. If you think about your car, you know, how you keep pushing on the brake, how often do you have to put, replace your brakes? Sure. No, it's 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 good to to have that that people can envision that because you know if we think of our brains as a bus, which now I'm going to now thanks to you, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and how many passengers am I stuffing in there in my ears, up my nose, in my mouth? I'm stuffing all these these passengers in all of this work that I got to do, all these things I got to do. Um, there comes a point where you can't fit anymore, you know, and there's there's too much in there, and so I think that's great if. There's a way we can, you can teach people how to identify how much is too much for their given situation. Because some people can handle more than others. I mean, it's just, just right. a fact of life, right? Some people can handle a ton yeah. of stuff. Other people, you give them a couple of things and they're like, oh, that's too much, man. I got to focus on one thing. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. But we need to yeah. be able to identify that and then also say, all right, in my individual situation, what am I comfortable with? What's healthy for me? What's unhealthy for me? Because so you yeah. talked about a lot of physical ailments that can come about, as we all know, from stress and from just having too much on our plates. And that manifests well, that, itself in anxiety and panic attacks and all kinds of stuff. 
Yeah, that's just the short-term effects of burnout. Mm. The, the body's response to burnout is the cognitive costs in that cognitively you are not you're not as sharp as what you were so then are you causing having more errors in what you're doing right 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 you look so at is that there, there there probably isn't a magic formula if there is i want it but <laughs> um <laughs> what is that uh from i guess from your research what is it that you're finding is sort of I don't know, maybe uh, the red light in front of our bus, right? That's telling us to stop, slow down, take a break, you know, get off the bus, go for a walk, right? Sort of clear mm -hmm. the air and clear our brains and sort of, you know, bring the stress levels down and bring, you know, the burnout levels down to back to a place where it's manageable again and we can get back on a bus and keep driving. Yeah, well, the, the body does try to warn us that's why we're we're having those physical symptoms but it also sends us red flags in the way of disputing as far as creativity problems right you're not going to be as creative mm -hmm. and also your working memory is not is going to be affected so if you're having challenges in remembering you know that's geez, a warning sign it is it is like, what did I have for lunch yesterday? <laughs> I don't know. Would you have lunch yesterday? We used to laugh and call it some timers. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, that's just, you know, it's not, we're not quite there as far as the full on Alzheimer's. Well, see, but... everybody now that's listening to this, I want you all to think about what you had for lunch yesterday. If you can't remember, <laughs> you better yeah. start looking at this. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, but then we also get into some of the other health effects as far as distinctive changes in the anatomy and functioning of the brain, turmoil with the regulation of your neuroendocrine system, mm. higher cortisol and coronary heart disease, because all these systems are, are they're connected. Cortisol, I was going to mention that actually earlier. Yes, exactly. But then we're also finding that there's more correlation then to a higher potential of ADHD, Parkinson's, stroke, MS, functional neurological disorder, addictions, and Alzheimer's, early onset Alzheimer's. So warning, you, you've outlined a lot of warning signs, and obviously some of those warning signs can be from other things. But mm -hmm. I think once people are more aware of the fact that some of these can be brought on because your brain is being overworked, that should be a wake up call. And, you know, we all think we're Superman or Superwoman and, you know, oh, I can keep working. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine until you're not fine. And that may yeah. be too late, right? I mean, it could, it could be too late. You may have already done the damage. And now it's like, oh, wow, maybe I was working too hard. Wait, what, what was I just, wait, squirrel, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And you forget what you're even talking about. And, yeah. um, and now the damage has been done and that's a sad place to be because we know how, you know, if anyone's had a loved one with Alzheimer's, um, it's a, it's a horrible thing to witness when they, they stop remembering things, they stop recognizing people. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's a really sad state. And, you know, none of us wants to, to yeah. end up that way uh, exactly. because we know how, how horrible it is. But I mean, of course, all the, the physical effects as well, where you can have, you know, give yourself a heart attack. 
you know, or, or an aneurysm, you know, you yes. keep going, going, going to one day something in your head just goes pop. And now it's too yes. late. Exactly. Now I've done some market research with, with some people and asking them, well, what is it that, that typically causes like that, that feeling of burnout? So loss of motivation because everything seems to get thrown at me. Mm. Not being able to get caught up on the day-to-day task because they seem to get lost in the forest. You can't see the forest for the trees. And that repetitive self-talk of I can't. I can't get this done. You know, like how am I going to get it? Very detrimental. Yes. And the lack of resources of time and money. That balance. So, Pam, would you say that one way that people could potentially start to combat this when they're feeling burnout or when they're feeling some of these things, you know, lack of motivation, forgetfulness, and just a general feeling of just, you know, I can't get things done is to maybe take a step back, take a deep breath and say, Hey, you know, I need to to have a more realistic schedule that allows me to do certain things for certain times and come hell or high water. I'm not going to interrupt that time because I need to get some things done. And then you have that sense of accomplishment when you do get to the end of that task or that time period and say, wow, I look back and I, I, I know what I got done. Like personally, I don't like to set time periods for me to do things. I like to set projects. So it's like, I know by the end of the time I go to bed tonight, I'm going to do this, right? And tomorrow I have to do you know these three things. And if it takes three hours to do them, great. If it takes me 12 hours to do them, oh, well. Right. But I try to do that. So but that may be a problem because now if I'm working too long at the things I'm trying to get done again, there's some overwhelm there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now overwhelm, I think, is natural. That's your body's way of saying, hey, I need a break. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between overwhelm and burnout. Okay. Okay. Burnout means you've gone past that point of, well, I just have too much to do. Which many of us feel on a daily basis. That's right. That's right. And, and especially when, you know, you take a week off, you take vacation. (laughs) And you get punished when you come back. After your vacation. Or do you feel, still feel like, you know what? I am not, I don't feel any more rested than, than I was before. I always joke that I always need a vacation for my vacation. (laughs) yeah so the industry though will tell you that some of the most recommended ways of overcoming burnout are number one meditation Mm -hmm. breathing getting a support system therapy like so talking to a counselor or a psychologist or Mm -hmm. somebody like that changing your diet sleeping more and getting more social contact all, all great uh, points they right are. there. They and, are. You know, and I'm someone that I'm, I'm a workaholic. My wife, she knows to be the first person to be like, you're working again. You're still working. What, you know, why you get, why <laughs> you always got to go in your office? Like, cause I got a million things to do. I'm trying to get stuff uh-huh. done. You know what I mean? Right. I'm not going to sit on the couch and watch TV. I just, you know, I'll watch a show. I'll have a few things that I like to, to watch. I'll watch a movie here and there. But for the most part, it's like, if I could be doing something, I am. And half the time I'm sitting on the couch with the laptop anyway. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But, um, yeah. So you have a hard time turning it off. Yes, I do. Yes. But, you know, I've been yes. in, in business since 1995. Clear. It's like I turn it off. Everything turns off, you know? So. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can't take it off my desk because if I don't see it, uh, I'll forget about it. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. So it's, it's definitely something that, you know, we, we need to uh, make sure that we're giving ourselves time to relax. Like I, I actually have an app I put on my phone about a year ago, a little less. Uh, it's called Calm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I do, I'm a martial artist. So I do okay. that as a great way for me to escape the rigors of one type of thing, right? The, the business and my clients and I got to think to the rigors of the physical and the self-defense aspects and the mental aspects and the techniques and the workout and all that kind of stuff is my escape from that. It gives me the, the ability to sort of balance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and with that, you know, is the need to have calm emotional calm, mental calm, and calm the brain. And then a lot of us, and myself included, you know, you're always thinking about things to do. Oh, I got to remember to do this. Oh, I got to remember to do this. Oh, did I do that? Oh, wait a minute. What did I, oh, where's my, and it's like one thing after another, after another. So sometimes we need a little help to get us to slow things down. And meditation is a great one. And you mentioned, Pam, breathing. I mean, simply just closing your eyes for five or 10 minutes and doing nothing but focus on your breath. And when you feel your mind start to wander or race or start thinking about things, you got to say, ah, stop, like hit the escape key on your keyboard, cancel, stop, right? Mm-hmm. Go back, go back and focus on the breath, you know, feel your belly rising and fall. But this app I put on my phone is really amazing, man. It's calm app mm-hmm. because it has little daily meditations every day. And you did just kind of talk to you and you listen, it helps you relax a little bit. And then boom, you kind of like recharged after, you know, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's something that anybody I think you should recommend. I should uh, get them a sponsor to show. Wait, what was the name of that? I don't know. You have to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, well, I'm I'm true. actually here to propose a new way. Oh, okay. We're all ears. Okay, because of the fact that I have actually suffered burnout. Okay. Okay. Uh, actually, a number of times in my life, I I had four children in less than four years with no twins. Oh, and I sounds was like my wife's parents. Managing a business that had five different divisions in it. And then, uh, you know, later on in my life, uh, when I was working in safety, I was working for one of the largest employers in Canada with, uh, you know, 110,000 clients and 14,000 employees. And at the same time that my husband had two chronic illnesses. That sounds like a little bit overwhelming ready for burnout just, to me. Just a little. <laughs> just a just little, little bit. bit. <laughs> you know, that's why I call it resilience. Yes. Right? Oh, I, I love the thing it. Is, you have to be resilient. The thing is, is that... Um, when you're in burnout, the things that you're recommending are not in, t- like, you remember I just mentioned about how it is that when you take a vacation, you don't feel rested because happen. you're emotionally fatigued. You have lost sight of the purpose of what you are doing and that purpose that fulfills you and gives you that intrinsic motivation to keep doing what you otherwise, I love doing this, but where's the passion? Where's the purpose? I don't feel that. I'm not passionate about this. So I'm here to actually introduce what I call the blueprint to build resilience. Because I have somewhat of a, a, you know, some working construction. We're building resilience because this is, we have to burn it. I mean, build it. 
Right. Okay. Well, no, I like the build too, because, you know, you do, doing that in the past and that's part of it. Right. And now we're building exactly. resilience exactly. to burnout. So there are three things that we need to do. Number one, we need to reconnect to purpose. Reconnecting to why am I doing this? What was it that I liked about doing this? What is Very my purpose? And so, so I've actually got a scientific way of being able to actually reconnect to both mentally, physically, emotionally, intellectually with the brain intact. No, what is my purpose? And then the next step of that, the next thing that we do is we increase your productivity. And the way that we do that, uh, I will get into, but the next one is the next thing that we need to do to build up is to elevate the emotional engagement. Because okay. of the fact that the brain fires by emotions. We have been firing off all these emotions in order to get thoughts and, and things happening with the brain. And so we've been firing it a lot. And the thing is, is that what do we do with emotions in the workplace? Typically suppress them. Exactly. Exactly. But yet, where does our creativity come from? Yeah, a lot of it's emotion-driven. Emotion. So, therefore, if we aren't able to express emotion, and I'm talking about emotional intelligence, following Daniel Goldman, I, for years, I couldn't understand, you know, how does he apply to safety? And yet, he does. I have figured out how to take what he teaches and be able to say, yes, we need emotional intelligence in the workplace. And through the blueprint to build resilience, we will be able to learn how to better adapt in the workplace when there are changes, better resolve things that, that really, what causes burnout, and this is a quote, is really... That is, it is the accumulation of hundreds or thousands of tiny disappointments, each only noticeable on their own. Hmm. Case in point, there was a story I heard recently about a hospital where it's adjacent to a university. As a... Um, a perk to the hospital staff, they're able to go over to the university and be able to exercise at the gym facilities for free. That's awesome. And they could park for free. Isn't that great? Absolutely. Overnight, somebody went in to the parking lot and changed all the signs. So now it's everybody has to park. So the anticipation, the expectation is that I'm going to be able to park here for free. Now I get here, I'm ready to go in for my workout, and now i got to figure out, well, why? I have to pay to park here? I wasn't planning on this. Now i got to figure out, where do I have to go to park? Like, where do I have to go to pay for it? How much is it going to cost me? Does this yeah, apply? Now you've added to all of this stuff on top that didn't need to be there. That's right, exactly. And so, so we need to start looking at 
the impact over the innovation when we're making changes. Gotcha. Yes. So because of the other passengers that are on our bus, as far as community, do I have a sense of community or do I feel really isolated where I'm working and who I'm working with? Do I work Fortunately, with, a- with the last two years, I mean, isolation has been the norm rather than the exception Absolutely. for so many people. And uh-huh. That's definitely stressful and can contribute to lots of, of issues. And we're seeing it with children being isolated mm-hmm. from school. I mean, these things are, my wife's a teacher. So, I mean, she sees this in the kids and how they've been impacted by this. It's just, it's been a sad, sad state of affairs yeah. all the way around with, uh, exactly. with the isolation part of, of how things have been compounded over the last couple of years in ways that have, we've never seen before or had happened never. to us before. Exactly. And so that's why it is there's even that much more need for for the for what I'm learning because you know there's so many changes that are happening and they're happening so quickly that we don't have time to learn to resolve or adapt or even emerge through the change. Right, because the science isn't there. The history isn't there. We don't have studies. We That's don't have right. research. It's, it's happening exactly. in real time, basically. Exactly. So we're being expected to change. Now change again. Now change. Well, wait a minute. We're, what change are we on now? I've lost track. <laughs> okay. Right. right? And so then we get to the other passenger on the bus, and that's control. How much control do I have over what I'm doing on a particular day? You Very know, true. I heard it in safety. My my motto in safety became that uh, don't put your day in concrete. You can oh, I like that. put out a, a rough idea of the things you're going to do. But the day you say this is absolutely what I'm going to get done, that is the day that your welder will catch on fire. That is the day that somebody will break into the vending machine with a grinder, you know, like you just, there's no control, right? <laughs> right, right. And no, so, true. I mean, we have to be flexible. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And so the next passenger is the reward. You know, how much reward do I feel that I'm actually getting for the widget that I made? You know, hey, I made that widget. But really, it's no different than any other widget. But wait a minute. No, no, no. That's the widget that I made. Okay? There's just something about that. that that's your, that's the reward. And when it's seen as though, well, that's, that's just what you do here. Well, it starts having it to where there's a little less reward in what I'm doing. I'm not really valued here. And the aspect of fairness you know, have you ever had it that you worked at a work site where, um, I'm sure a lot of people will relate to this, is where the furnace keeps on trying to be the lights because they think that the lights gets more attention than the furnace? Okay, I see what you're saying. That aspect of fairness. Hey, wait a minute. How come they got green ones and we got red ones? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Does it really matter? You know, but no, it's that aspect of fairness. And and we're constantly looking at that. And and the last passenger is values. 
and that's a double-edged sword. That's a big one. Is values in that, number one, um, do I feel valued here? Like I'm a valuable part of what we do? But then there's the other side of it of am I being asked to do something that is against my values? Yes, that's, that's, that's a big problem. That's a dilemma. Right. So in the blueprint, I have figured out a way of being able to, to address all of these. Number one is going back to purpose. The two happiest days of our lives, the day that you're born and the day that you learn your purpose. So if yeah. we could actually have people working in areas that actually fulfill that purpose, then they wouldn't feel as burned out. They would also be able to achieve flow. Now, flow, another word for flow, is synergy. Mm -hmm. You know that, that feeling that you get when you're, you're kind of just, you're doing it and you're in total joy of doing it. It that feels effortless. There's no time. There's no space. Even if you are working with somebody else. I think that's, so, uh, that's a biggie. And many people, even those that are of middle age, haven't yet figured out their purpose. And that's exactly. sad because, you know, when we're young, we have no clue. You know, we're told, you know, go to school, go to college, go to university, get a degree, you know, get that piece of paper and then you can get a good job and you can go do that job. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of what, what we're told. And, you know, it, things have changed in the workplace. You know, people used to yes. have, you know, 50 years ago, they would go to maybe three jobs in their lifetime. Well, geez, mm -hmm. kids today have three jobs in a year, you know, yes. and, and they're, they're expected. I forget. <laughs> I read a statistic recently, but it was something like um, the person born today, which is this is maybe five years ago, um, is going to have something like 27 jobs by the time they retire. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like a stupid high number. I don't remember what it was exactly, but I was like, what? I'm like, that is crazy. And I sat and I started yeah. thinking about it. I'm like, well, how many jobs have I had? You know, and I started thinking back all the way back to my paper route, you know, and I did some telemarketing and I did customer mm -hmm. service work and this and that. And I'm starting to think, well, geez, I've had quite a few, but it's uh, it's wild because until you find that purpose, you're searching, right? We're, yeah. we're, we're all searching for that. You know, what is it that makes us special? What is it that makes us feel fulfilled, right? Exactly. It's a big thing, like you said, and, yeah. and gives us the, the energy to get up in the morning and attack the day with vigor, Saying, hey, mm -hmm. man, I know my purpose. I know what I'm doing today. This is this is how I'm going to make a difference in the world. That's um, right. But a lot of people don't don't have that, you know. And, and no, if you no. someone and listening to this saying, you know, I still haven't figured out my purpose yet. Hey, you're not alone. There's a lot of people <laughs> yeah. that haven't, you know. And, and, and um, every is, day is people figure that out for the first time. And maybe you're 20, maybe you're 40, maybe you're 60. Who cares? Yeah. You know, but you figure it out. And all of a sudden things will change uh, for the better because you're going to be so much more fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Or we... We say, oh, I, I want to I wanna have this result. I'm excited about becoming the next, you know, multi-millionaire. And so you look for the people that have accomplished that goal, and you say, well, that must be my purpose because that's what I want to accomplish. But that's, no. that's not what I'm talking about as far as purpose. Some people 
they, that's more of a goal and a very vague exactly, one. Exactly. That. That's that's more of a goal. Some people they may even say, okay, well, I had this traumatic, life-changing event, and so that that has changed my life, and so now my life purpose will be about um, spreading this message. No, that's not the purpose I'm talking about. I'm talking about the purpose that lights up your brain, your heart, gives you that that emotion, that that sense of flow. For me, because I am a teacher, and I also am, I have a great sense of leadership, and that. And this is where it got really interesting for me was that, um, and this is where it is that I find myself drawn to safety, is that nurturing aspect of me as a woman, mm, as a way of me being able to express my motherhood in looking after other people. Yeah, and so, no, that's that's definitely makes sense. There's some synergy there. <laughs> yes, absolutely, but. I want to get into the next part of this, and that is how a, how a knowledge of neuroplasticity can actually change the way that we we live our lives and how we are in business. Because um, I'm going to quote Dr. Ramsey that I worked with, who said that having an understanding of neuroplasticity will actually have it that we currently are only using 1% of our brain. Most people think it's actually 10%, but no, in actuality, it is only 1%. Wow, pretty pathetic. <laughs> so if you had a tool in the toolbox that, now she says that, be, that neuroplasticity allows us to have the limitless ability to create neural pathways which means that we are limitless if you had a tool in your toolbox that could have it that you would become limitless that you would be able to meet any challenge wouldn't you pick it up and want to learn how to use it i think uh everybody listening would say with a resounding yes that sure absolutely yeah, absolutely. And wouldn't our our lives be that much better by learning how to use it? Sure. Both at work and also in our in our personal lives. Interesting. But, yes, but then getting into the emotional intelligence aspects. So the neuro that's actually the neuroscience of our relationship with ourselves and others. So how we relate to other people is our emotional intelligence. And when we're working with other people, business is about relationships. Whether they're the people on your team, the, the people, your client, or your community as a whole. If any, if um, other uh, podcast episodes have been listened to or watched by people on uh, that are listening to this one. Um, if you haven't, I did an episode on emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, safety talk. I actually looked it up where you're talking there. Episode number 30. Mm -hmm. 
uh, with Dr. Adam Sains. And it was very, very interesting because I had not, I mean, everybody's familiar with IQ, but most people aren't familiar with basically EQ or the emotional intelligence quotient. And essentially it's like you're saying, I mean, it's the ability to understand other people and what motivates them and allows us to work cooperatively with them. And all of these things are imperative for our success. So by learning more about emotional intelligence and especially like with social media and how that can affect it, uh, you know, interpersonally, you know, person to person, but then how we're interacting online, that's a huge one. So, I mean, I would, uh, I would recommend anybody that's interested in learning more about that. Take a listen to that episode because it was very, very interesting. I learned a lot about it because I had not, other than just hearing really the term in passing, didn't understand it. After yeah. listening to the doctor speak, I really was was uh, impressed with how it ties into so many things in our lives. And so for you to be pulling that into this as well, I think is is a critical component because that's what it's all about, right? If we, we have to know ourselves in order to know others, right? We have to love ourselves in order to love others. It's all kind of part and parcel, but we're all so busy, we don't think about it, right? And I think the biggest problem, I think, with our society as a whole, well, there's a lot of them, but one of them is we don't think anymore. We react. We don't sit yeah. quietly and think and formulate thoughts about what's mm-hmm. going on in our lives and our future and, and how what we're doing is affecting us and how other people are affecting us and how what we're doing is affecting others. And that's yeah. a very, very critical part of life that most people don't do. We, we're losing the ability to think. We want to be Absolutely. told what to do. We want to do what, you know, our, we, we settle into our routines. We settle into our comfort zones. I talk about this all the time in safety. And we're, we're, a lot of people are happy with that, you know, that we become complacent. And when we become complacent, yeah. that's when things can get dangerous, right? In safety, mm-hmm. whether it's on a job site, walking on the beam, or whether it's walking to your car in a parking lot, complacency is a big problem with that too. So a lot of this stuff really ties together. When we initially started talking, Pam, about this, I was like, well, how are we going to really tie the brain into <laughs> safety in this? And, you know, when we, before we started the show and we had a little discussion about it, I was like, oh, okay, I can really see how this is going to tie in nicely. Uh, and as I said at the top, you know, it, we, we have not done a show like this. And so it, it's very interesting and eye-opening for myself as, a, as a, I'm sure it is for, for anyone else who's listening or watching too. Mm-hmm. So I have one, one more. One more. All right. Let us hit it. Hit us. One more. Okay. <laughs> and that is the subconscious mind. Mm. Okay. And so did you know that there are actually six different time frames? Six different time frames? That's right. Okay. So in our conscious experience is where we have the past, present, future, and how they interact with our brain. Right. Okay. The memory, experience, and expectations, they assess the unhidden past, present, and future. Okay, so say, repeat that again for our audience because okay. I think that yes. that's worth repeating. I know. And it's, it's, you know. have to kind of absorb this that. This is where things get really deep and really intriguing. And if and people really want more, they're going to have to go, you know, time. buy, get your white paper or buy your book. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right, exactly. So the conscious experience that's the past, present, future, and how they interact with our brain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. 
memory, experience, and expectations assess the unhidden past, present, and future. So there are six degrees of time. Past, present, future that mm -hmm. we that are that we can see. And that we're all and familiar with, obviously. The hidden past, present, and future. So now with the the thing is is that when you understand the subconscious mind, the subconscious mind basically is having an understanding. Have you ever seen the back part of a web page? Oh, I do web development, yes. Yes, yes. So you see the front of the web page. Well, that's our conscious mind. And what's in the back, all that other neat wizzy code. stuff <laughs> that creates the web page, that's our subconscious mind. As one of my clients likes to call the code, he goes, all those squigglies. Because <laughs> right. he knows something about the code. Exactly. <laughs> he just knows that the squigglies make things happen. <laughs> exactly. So hope, by examining the hidden and unhidden present, we can change our hidden future for the better. Ah, I like that. Okay. So, so... We are actually, our subconscious mind is working all the time. I'm going to introduce us to a new word called automaticity. Okay. Automaticity, when I first heard that word, I was like, what is this word? What is the, I've never heard this word before. And so. How do you spell um, Like automatic city kind of? Um, kind of, yes. Okay. Yes, automaticity. So. The last time, I want you to think about this, the last time you got into your car and drove, did you think about it? Nope. Just no. You just did it. The last time you got into the shower, did you think about the steps? Yeah. For most people, no. You just, no. You just do them because we've done them a hundred times, brushing our teeth, a hundred thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand times. Exactly. Exactly. That is the subconscious mind at work mm -hmm. because it becomes subconscious. Now, what if we could put the things that we want to change on automatic? That's so, kind of like NLP, right? No, this is beyond NLP. Okay. In that, in that, um, when we want to make a change in the workplace, we could actually use um, subconscious techniques, and I'm not talking about um, brainwashing, <laughs> mm -hmm. but actually just basically doing little subconscious primings in order to make it easier for people to adapt to the change that we're going to implement. So it's a lot easier to say, oh, and accept it and adapt to it because I kind of subconsciously anticipated it. Interesting. Yes. Now the thing is, there is one caution about automaticity as a, from a safety professional standpoint, okay, because I have seen automaticity at work. It already exists. It's already there. And that is that, have you ever had somebody doing a task that they, they do every day? 
it's gotten to be so automatic, they don't even think about it anymore. Right. Right. Now, what happens when somebody changes, somebody comes into that workspace and they make a change? Well, now you get all screwed up because you messed with my routine. That's right. You've just changed the automaticity. My subconscious mind tells me that this saw is supposed to be here and it's supposed to be set up like this. Somebody changes the setting on that saw or that drill and what happens? We're not anticipating it because we automatically, because of automaticity, say, well, this is set up like this and it's been like this for so long. But somebody came in and changed it. How dare they? That's right. But if we had an understanding of automaticity, that that's actually what's happening. And when I learned about this from Dr. Uh, from Professor Bard, who, uh, who wrote, oh no, he's written a number of books, and I could probably pull it out here. Um, but nonetheless, well, people can look him up. he talks about um, how it is that with automaticity, you know, that things become auto we can make put change on automatic but the thing is from a from a safety standpoint i can see sometimes because i've also investigated thousands of incidences in my career where it's like well what was he thinking and this is what got me so intrigued and ah. in learning about the brain what was he thinking what Maybe was he his wasn't thinking cuz he was had that automaticity was at work and something got changed and they didn't know it. And all of a sudden, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. And so taking it one step further, I had, uh, I was working at a live gas plant. This was when I first started in safety. And I remember the superintendent, my superintendent getting right in my face about how it was that I was writing stuff down. And when I write stuff down, he has to do stuff. <laughs> it's like, oh. That's how things get done. You got to write them down. What's going on in my brain? It was like, oh, I want you to do things. And I can get you to do things by writing it down. Wow. He just, I, that just made a, a total connection there for me, right? That's how things get done. You got to write it down. I say it all exactly. the time. You want to get it done? Write it That's down. That's right. Otherwise, That's it's right. in one ear and out the other, or you, you think about it and you get distracted, and then you don't yeah. write it down, and you go back later and you go, what was it I had to do? Yeah. So Carrie, though, got in right into my face and said, you know what? If we could just find some common sense, we wouldn't have to be safety to death. And I'll, to a certain I'll admit, extent. Yes, I will admit that with the way that he said it, I was angry. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I, I didn't I didn't say anything back because my emotional intelligence was such that it was like, okay, it's probably best with where he's at not to get back into yeah, <laughs> not deep to breath. deep breath. <laughs> take a deep breath and let's go find Carrie some common sense. I was not being facetious. Right. 
okay? It has taken me 15 plus years, almost 20 years, to find Carrie some common sense, okay? <laughs> In that, after he made that comment, I sat there and I was watching these boiler makers on this tower. And I'm like, okay, he says we just need common sense. And so we don't have to be safety to death. So I'm like, okay, I have five boiler makers on a tower. How do we get them some common sense? So let's break it down. What is common sense? Common sense is common are things that are the same or similar. Sense has to do with what we see, hear, touch, taste, smell, mm -hmm. experience. Right. So common sense then is common experience or similar experience. So I have five boilermakers on a tower. Do they all have the same or similar experience? They're all boilermakers. Right. So they do to a certain extent. Absolutely. Not necessarily. To a certain extent, they have some. Only to a certain extent as far as what they were trained as far as, you know, uh, what boilermakers are typically trained in. But the thing is, when you take into consideration uh, different cultures from different work sites create different beliefs. Very true. We're going to be a little different, or maybe a lot different. That's right. Not only that, but also um, when we implement changes, you know, uh, that whether or not they believe in the change or not, are they accepting of the change? Or is it just like, right? So that's why you get to drip on them and prep them for the change. Exactly. Exactly. And that's so... Very interesting. Is that... Yeah, well, I, I wish we could talk more. We're, we're like cranked through an hour. I told you it was going to go fast. <laughs> yeah, it has. But it it's has. a lot of very interesting information that... Um, and it, I want to pull up the, uh, the one website here uh, that you, if people are interested in learning more information about, which is um, pamela.neurochangepractitioner.com. Uh, Pamela.neurochangepractitioner.com. And that has some interesting information about the training and the information that you're talking about and how you can basically transform lives using these different evidence-based mythologies that you talk about here uh, and how this can work. So it's very uh, interesting. And like I said, I, I, I looked through it over the site today and was reading about, and you know, what happens when you bring people along this path of, uh, you know, the experience for the client to get them understanding, you know, things like, you know, their beliefs, like you were just mentioning <laughs> and mindset and, and emotional intelligence. I mean, these are all things that if people don't know what they are, they need to be educated on it because it's only going to help them be able to avoid burnout and to be able to reduce their stress and be able to have a healthier brain, which, you know, we all know was, as we, we talked about earlier, if you don't have a healthy brain, um, it can be very, uh, very bad for 
for you and for your family and for those that love you and care about you, nobody wants to see someone's, you know, brain, you know, be, uh, be stressed to the point where it's damaged, you know, whether it's from a stroke or Alzheimer's or, or something else. No, no, it's so, not. Do you have any, uh, any last thoughts for our, our listeners, our viewers, um, you gave us a lot of great information. I, I appreciate that. You know, like I said, the brain bus, I'm going to be thinking about that now forever. <laughs> My brain is a bus and I got all these passengers on it. And, uh, you know, hopefully people were taking some notes on, on some of the things you, uh, you were talking about. Cause I certainly was. And, uh, you know, if you didn't, well, go back and listen again. That's the beauty of listening to a podcast or, or watching a video on YouTube is you can mm -hmm. go back and you can listen, you can pause, you can take notes and, and really, uh, you know, listen to some of the things that you had to say uh, repeatedly, which is why you know I made you repeat a couple things there because they're they're worth repeating, uh, especially you know even for the people who may know or think they know something. Uh, you know, we've got to take care of our brains and the brain bus. So, what 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 last sort of um, I guess nugget or or you know thing would you like to you know a key takeaway or, or any last thought that you'd like to leave our audience with here uh, that you've you'd like to really impart and sort of get people to, to say, oh, okay. Okay. So I want to leave off with a very simple acronym. And that is that resilience equals rest. I love it. In that the R stands for replenish. Meaning that we've all heard of the, the phrase multiply and replenish so i cannot find the word plenish in any dictionary just replenish. that means that we already have enough that we already are enough we just need to learn how to restock and not keep trying to become more than what we already are gotcha okay E stands for emotional need. Acknowledge and meet your emotional needs. S is for silence. Mm -hmm. The world is a noisy place, and we need to learn how to find that Calm silence. Calm down and meditate. Right. Uh, I call it, that's why I call resilience resilience mm. to become silent again and to become still and and even though you're standing there in the cone of the storm it's the ability to find that silence and the T is for true to your purpose hi the bring purpose background days. I love it the two best days of our lives are the day that we are born and the day that we realize that we can stand true to our purpose. Fantastic. That's awesome. So get that burnout blueprint, people. You know, know your purpose and get that knowledge of what this is all about and learn about emotional intelligence. Like I said, I referred you to, to the prior episode where you can even learn more about it. Of course, you can search stuff and find it on your own. And then, you know, the subconscious mind, I like that. we got the six different time frames we're talking about, right? The past, present, future. And then we've got memory, experience, and expectations and uh, the hidden past, present, and future, right? So very, very interesting. And uh, 
I really appreciate your time and uh, sharing your information. There's a lot of uh, a lot of great information that we share with our listeners, and uh, it's something that we all, I think, need to have a greater understanding of, especially because we're all stressed out. We've all been isolated, and uh, you know these things are not healthy for us physically, emotionally, mentally, uh, spiritually. You know, and in every way. And so when we can identify some of these things that cause, you know, disease, you know, and stress and problems that that start to manifest themselves in our body. It's our body telling us, hey, man, slow down, calm down, take a breath, take a breather, learn how to sort of get back in touch with your purpose and know uh, and, and know how to get more joy really back in your life, I would say. So mm-hmm. uh, fantastic. So uh, our listeners, make sure you uh, take a look at uh, and, and check out the website here. Uh, you can find uh, Pamela on uh, social media. Last name is Cohen, C-O-W-A-N. And um, brackets up another episode here. So uh, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Get the latest safety information, past episodes, safetytalkpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. So until next time, again, thank you, Pam. And everybody else, please, Till next time, stay safe. Thank you, Peter. This has been an honor. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.